This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, and uh, this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, with Robin Mob, Robert Love, and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. I'm Mob. Um, we, we, we actually thought that we were being rather ambitious, um, planning for a podcast that would last for at least 61 episodes, and, and probably more like 62 or 63 if we do a you know, what happened to their lives, like at the end of Animal House. An epilogue, yes. Yes, an, an epilogue, um, yes, where you work out uh, what happened to the various um, protagonists um, after the Civil War. But um, apparently somebody is live-blogging the entire, as in live-podding, the entire First World War. So, so, wow. they, so they are committed to 260 episodes. Yeah, and there's going to be some pretty grim ones uh, in there too. Well... Are there going to be any that aren't grim? I mean, fine, yes, yes, um, as from the name of the book, um, there were some days that were, were all quiet on the Western Front, but there were also a lot of a lot of really, really horrible days. Yeah, I will say, our podcast is going to have a much lower casualty count. Though <laughs> yeah. so, so far, I think we've had one whale, haven't yep. we? So far, we have, had, we have had one whale, um, one uh, southern right whale, um, because... Uh, the Shenandoah is currently uh, travelling down the, not so much the, the middle of the Atlantic. Um, earlier in December and late November, they were off the coast of Brazil, off the coast of South America. But, but by off the coast, we kind of do mean about a thousand miles off the coast because there's a lot of ocean between Africa and, uh, and South America. But uh, now towards uh, mid, mid-December, um, they are now travelling... Uh, more towards um, Africa. Um, They've just been to Tristan de Cunha. Tristan de Cunha. Where they were uh, fleeced yes. by buying some uh, fresh supplies off them and uh, got the money back by selling the, 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 the people living there clothes. The, the clothes off their prisoners' back. And they then did even better than that by giving them the prisoners... Uh, That's right. Yes, yes. So what did actually happen to those? Yes, well, well, we'll we'll get on to that. So um, we'll dispense very quickly with with where are we? We, We've left Tristan de Cunha and we are travelling down towards the tip of of Africa uh, in in the Atlantic. Um, But yes, so so we'll we'll now get into um, errors, omissions, additions and attributions. And um, I think uh, last last week we left uh, twenty twenty three or so Portuguese sailors marooned on the shores of Tristan de Cunha because uh, which had actually um, almost doubled the population which, which of had Tristan de Cunha always doubled the population and uh, it, it, it is fair to say actually that the um, the crew of the Shenandoah did feel a little bit badly about this, although they did notice that there were, there were some single women on Tristan de Cunha. So the um, the population of thirty five obviously was not was not gender balanced. You think uh, there may have been some additions to the gene pool? Uh, happening? Well, well, yes, yes, who knows? But but the thing was, uh, they need not have actually worried because only three weeks after. So we're kind of doing a bit of foreshadowing here, but. 
we may as well do it. Um, so three weeks after the Shenandoah left, um, the USS Iroquois, um, a US, a US a Yankee ship, a, a Yankee ship, a Yankee warship, a Yankee warship. Yes. Oh dear! Uh, believe me, a ship that um, you know, could have easily, easily accounted for the Shenandoah, um, and and also a ship that had actually been commissioned uh, to to seek out the Shenandoah because um, it had been you know, known for for a couple of months that the Shenandoah was on the loose, and they had started capturing uh, quite a few prizes. Now the Iroquois was commanded by Captain Christopher Rogers, and they they called in at. Um, Tristan de Cunha, uh, they rescued the Portuguese sailors and then they decided, well, what is the Shenandoah's likely next stop? And they decided, because Trist- the nearest port to Tristan de Cunha is Cape Town, uh, Captain Rogers decided that he would head off to Cape Town uh, to drop off his, his, his Portuguese sailors, which, um, you know, they would have a much better chance of getting another ship in Cape Town than at Tristan de Cunha. Um, so off he headed... Um, and he landed at Cape Town, but um, Captain Waddell wasn't there. Captain Waddell, uh, the Shenandoah wasn't there. And given that the Shenandoah had discovered, of course, um, its propeller uh, problems, um, they may well have gone to Cape Town to, um, to, get it fixed. to get it fixed. But they took another option, which we'll be getting to. But while in Cape Town... Uh, Captain Rogers somehow came up with the idea that, that can't have been based on anything he heard because, of course, the Shenandoah had never been to Cape Town, that um, the Shenandoah was off to the East Indies. And, of course, the East Indies are east of the West Indies, as in the East Indies are that, that. that, that, that great sway that you know, the, the, the Philippines are all the way down to, to Papua New Guinea, that, that the great chain of islands running from the top of Australia up to the, the main Eurasian landmass. So he promptly um, headed off to look for them there, going in absolutely and completely um, the, the, wrong, wrong direction. The, the wrong direction. So the, so the ships... Um, now, but it's actually very lucky because um, at this moment, Captain Waddell had not told his own crew of where, the they were going. where they were going. He had not even told um, Executive Officer Whittle where they were going. But for some reason, he had told the governor of Tristan de Cunha. <laughs> Interesting. I, I, I presume he was just called in on the governor and, and, and yeah. Bay conversation and the governor said at some point, so where are you heading off to? And um, yeah, Waddell said, well, Australia, Australia sounds nice. I've always wanted to see a kangaroo. So he told the governor, so Captain Rogers of the USS Iroquois, in um, investigating the arrival of the Shenandoah at Tristan de Cunha, had neglected to ask the governor where, where the ship was going, which I, th- I think, Cap- I think it, that would have been an amazing um, annal in the, the US Navy if he chased the Shenandoah across the Indian Ocean to Melbourne and caught up with it there. Um, but it was not yeah, to be. And, and apart from the Portuguese, there were only 34 people on Tristan at the time. Yes, so, so, so asking everybody on the island, hey, did, did anybody on that Confederate warship say where they were going next? And you would have thought, of the 34 people, would you start with the governor? You, 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 yes, you the guy would. in charge. Interesting. So... The Portuguese uh, were given two months' supplies, I believe, by yes, the, uh, yes, the crew yes, of the Shenandoah, which is very kind, but they only needed three weeks. They only then. needed three weeks, so hopefully the uh, supplies were left with the maidens of Tristan de Cunha to get them over their disappointment at uh, having the Portuguese sailors, sailors removed. 
Um, so that's, um, I thought we'd follow up on that story. And I, and I do have another addition that yes. I promised last week uh, because um, uh, when uh, we discussed the fact that the Shenandoah's uh, propeller shaft was cracked, um, they hauled that propeller shaft out of the water and they laid it on the spanker boom. And uh, I promised to go away and do some research on exactly what... The... What, what indeed is a spanker boom, and can you illuminate us? What indeed is a spanker boom? Now, now to, we need to back up a bit on this. And uh, what the Shenandoah was an example of, it was ship-rigged. Okay, so a ship, to be ship-rigged, needs to have at least three masts. And generally, um, generally, it does have to be said that three masts um, was the usual. Um, so you would have three masts. Um, you have the full mast, which was four, which was... Let the, me guess, it's at the front. It's at the front. Very well done. And that would be the second tallest mast. You'd have the main mast, which, funnily enough, would be the, the middle mast and would be the main. You would have the mizzen mast, which was the third tallest. And I think that must have been the... Um, the mast that the Admiral's flag was um, hung from, given that one of the Aubrey Matron novels, when when Aubrey becomes an Admiral, is called, called Blue at the Mizzen. Yes, yes, exactly. And if you happen to have a fourth mast, uh, that would be the Jigger mast, but uh, not, not that many ships would have a Jigger mast, and only a few ships uh, were ever built with five masts. But and I, believe, and I believe one with six, which I will tell you all about next fair, week. Fair enough. Um, but uh, confusingly, uh, if a ship was built with five masts, although almost none ever were, that fifth mast would be called the spanker. So, but, but we're not talking about the spanker mast here. We're talking about a spanker sail. And on a square rigged ship, a, uh, the spanker was a fore and aft sail, which means that uh, the square rigged sails are the ones you typically think of when you think of a sailing ship. They were square, um, they were across the boat, and that they would be... They went horizontally across. They went ho- horizontally across, and so they were there to catch wings coming up from behind. And presumably there's a certain amount of turning that they can do to catch uh, side winds. Uh, but a fore and aft sail um, basically went straight um, along the boat and it was there to catch side winds. Um, I'm sure side winds are the technical term. Uh, might need to do a bit more research there. And uh, gaff rigged. Uh, gaff rigged means that the um, uh, the sail was uh, four-sided. It wasn't square because it was slightly slanty. Uh, but it was uh, four-sided, and that was um, the most the, the optimum way of constructing. Uh, that, that gave you the most sail in comparison to a Bermuda rig, which I believe is a triangle, and a triangle obviously uh, gives you this sail. Now we get to that the the propeller shaft was put on top of the spanker boom. Now uh, apparently, many times um, a spanker sail will be what they call soft-footed. And soft-footed means that there is no boom. It's presumably held on with... Oh, just with ropes. Rope, yes, yes. Um, which, obviously, you can see would be an advantage because when you've got those booms coming off the, the, the mast, um, yeah, they can swing around and hit people, uh, yada, yada, yada. Um, but, obviously, on the Shenandoah, which, as I said, was a three, uh, three-masted ship, 
uh, with a spanker boom. So it was not a soft-footed boom, it was a hard boom, which meant that they could lay the propeller shaft on top of the boom. And in fact, if you look at um, perhaps the the best-known picture photograph of the Shenandoah, which is of the Shenandoah in dry dock at Williamstown, which is a lovely picture because it's completely out of the water. Uh, but you can see the spanker boom very clearly in that picture. Uh, yes, going it's just taken from the, from the back of the Because it's taken from the back, and you can also see all of the, the very nice windows at the stern that the officers uh, would have had to, to look at. No, 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 no. That was all fake. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So instead of having a great cabin, like on, uh, say, sailing ships that we think of in the, in the British Navy and so on, because of the propeller... Okay. You actually had to have a uh, way to get down to below the water. So behind that area, um, there wasn't actually anything at all. Oh, there you so go. So the, the ginger work that was on the back and the, uh, the cabins... Uh, we're all false. Well, there you go. Well, that, that, that goes to show that you, you, you can't trust photographs. You can't trust photographs from 1865 uh, to look at and uh, say there are the windows. And don't forget the the great cabin at the moment that uh, our captain's in is also full of ammunition, which uh, must have been very interesting. Well, I think by now that they probably got. They a, might have stowed it away. They, they might have stowed it yes. away. So, so anyway. Um, so we are now um, heading towards the Cape of Good Hope. We mm-hmm. have uh, the Shenandoah has a bung engine. Um, Captain Waddell is not sharing with anybody uh, what they are going to do next, except the governor. Of except the governor Tristan. of Tristan da Cunha. Um, now, now, Michael um, has uh, has Executive Officer Whittle has he been uh, engaging in any? Um, Unusual punishments recently. He's been doing the usual, yes. I have to say. There, there, there's, two, there's two significant things that have happened in, in, at this time. One is that on the 10th of December, they had their first ever exercise at quarters. Okay. So this is where you uh, get the guns out yes. and you pretend that you're firing them. Yes, and, and, th- and those of you who have read the Hornblower novels, and who hasn't, uh, Hornblower was an absolute stickler for exercising the guns, and he would do it every single day. Yes, well, as this is their first exercise at quarters, they obviously haven't been doing it every day. But uh, or indeed every month. Uh, or, <laughs> and in fact, if they'd left it that much longer, they wouldn't have done it that year. But yes, very true. One of the problems is, of course, because the uh, Shenandoah as the Sea King when it was built was not a warship, it didn't have gun ports, so they had to cut them out. And uh, Whittle's obviously saying that he doesn't think they look that impressive. Um, He knows that in a fight, all the gingerbread work's going to come down and be destroyed anyway. And he says, I'm very anxious to catch Yanks, but when Yanks are Tartars, I want to let them alone. Okay, so he only wants to attack um, unwarlike, peaceful Yanks. Yes. Uh, not Tartars, Tartars being... Um, were, were Tartars... Genghis were, Khan, were, 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 they, were they Tartars? Were the Mongolians yes. Tartars? Yes. yes, yes. So he doesn't want people who are going to, you know, sweep across the steppes and um, sack, sack cities and um, build pyramids of skulls. Yeah, they, they, they really weren't <laughs> going to be able to do that in the Shenandoah, I'm afraid. But they did do the exercise at quarters. Yep. They had a very long drill. Uh, the guns worked very hard as the whole weight of the piece comes down on the dumb trucks, and they had very heavy guns. Yes. 
and the ship wasn't really built for it. Um, the next day, I'm afraid Whittle trices somebody up again. Uh, you, you astonish me. Yes. Now, now what, what, are the, what are the poor chap done? This was trice? a Frenchman by the name of Louis oh, Rowe. Oh, oh, look, I'm sorry, but, but say no more. It was a Frenchman. He was obvious, Whittle was obviously completely within his rights. He refused the... to obey orders, and at first, with the usual excitability of a Frenchman, he became very angry and commenced to use, again, some very improper language. So, of course, Whittle had him gagged. Yes. And then he was triced up. But he was brought down and uh, then he was like a lamb. Interestingly, I found that every time Whittle commits one of these punishments, usually, very often in the same entry, he then talks about how much he misses his dear Patty. Look, Read look, into that what look, you I, I, I do have to say that, um, you know, being a statistician... Uh, most of his entries seem to say how much he misses his dear Patty. So it might be just entirely coincidence that um, yeah, the punish. And in fact, most of his entries also refer to punishment. So while, while there's while there's correlation between the two, is there I, causation? I, I, I think yeah, yeah. We we can't necessarily say that um, that there is causation. We then get to uh, I think a very very interesting issue, and that is. Uh, Whittle is most annoyed about uh, the behaviour of the captain. Oh, I think he would have been extremely annoyed if he'd discovered the captain had told the governor where they were going <laughs> <laughs> and not him. But no, what happened when he, he, he writes, this is on the 13th of December, that he was very much provoked today by the uncalled for and unnecessary interference of the captain with my duties. Mm. As the executive officer, it's his job to basically run the ship. Yes. And he found that after uh, setting the sails in a particular way... Oh, now, which sail was it? Because, of course, we're experts on sails now after our... um... Well, Rob, it was the mizzen topgallant sheets. Okay, the mizzen topgallant sheets. Now, I can tell you right away that that, that's obviously the mizzen. Uh, Now, um, because the Shenandoah was a ship rig... Um, the mizzen, the bottom sail would be the spanker this sail. Is the, this is the rearmost. Uh, yes, so, so the mizzen mast, is the yes. rearmost. Now, um, a bark would only have spanker sails going from the mizzen. Mm-hmm. But, you can, so, but you can tell a ship that is ship rigged, it will have a square sail above the spanker. So if you could imagine, you can have your square spanker sail going fore and aft from mm-hmm. front to back. And above that, in the top gallants, uh, you would have a a square sail, but going across the ship that would propel it um, forward. When uh-huh. Now, I, I think the top gallant, I know that, that there were names for all of the various sails, and I think the top gallant might be the third one. So that would be right. the one right at the top. So, um, Well, yes. what happened is, after he set them in a particular way and yes. went about his business, the captain came on deck and countermanded the orders. So the bosun was uh, required to do the sails in a different way. When Whittle came back, he was most put out when he saw that happen. Yes. In fact, he he writes here, both of us cannot be the executive officer. I might as well take a watch and give him the executive duties if my orders are to be changed in this way in trifling matters. Gosh, both of us cannot be the executive officer. That's a bit like, you know, one cannot live while the other survives or, you know, something like that. So um, it looks like there is dissension uh, at the the very top 
autocratic autocratic captaincy and uh, well well listen to this this is not good i did not speak to him because i have once requested and he has promised that all his orders to my subordinates should go through me and i regard him a very unreasonable man in most things oh, it is dear. a piece of conceit to suppose that because he is the commanding officer he can perform the executive duties and the duties of all his officers better than they can. That's not very good. Oh dear, it? yes, yes. Them, them's, uh, them's fighting words. Yes, things just got real on the Shenandoah. I think. If he can do his own duty, he will, as a general thing, do well. I will not quarrel with him for two reasons, and this is interesting. One is that it would injure the service. Yes, and the other is that when I last walked with his little wife, she begged me to keep out of all quarrels on the cruise. Ah, so, so Whittle has made a promise with a, to a lady. Uh, to Waddle's wife. To, to Waddle's wife, that, that he will not um, fight uh, with her husband. Uh, I think the inference there is that uh, Waddell's wife knew him to be a man who could be uh, unreasonable and... Fractious. And fractious. So I think, in fact, uh, Whittle is, uh, yes... Passing on to uh, Waddell's wife, I believe it's called Anne. You know, if she's if she's given him that hint before the cruise, that's not yes. boding well, is it? <laughs> no, that she's saying my husband is a prickly man. Well, yes, but I, I think ships captains do tend to be somewhat autocratic and uh, and perhaps prickly. So I think probably one of the things that really cheesed Whittle off there is the fact that when the captain came up, he told the bosun. That uh, it was Mr. Whittle's orders to change it back. Oh, okay. Well, you think that now again. So I'm, I'm sure that from Waddell's point of view, he he, th- he thought that he'd covered um, he'd covered Whittle's um, you know covered Whittle's backside there, and, and was being very tactful. And uh, but obviously not from uh, from Whittle's perspective. No. Um, this is of course written in his private journal, which. Didn't uh, yeah wouldn't have been yes. public knowledge, yes. but even so, you can see that he is extremely cheesed off that the mm. captain has has done this to him. Okay, so so we we've got a ship here where the uh, the captain is at loggerheads uh, with the executive officer. The executive officer is perhaps almost overly fond of punishing his uh, his uh, gangs and tricings. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and again, um, as, as we flagged a few weeks ago, um, uh, you know, Surgeon Lining and Midshipman Mason are also making plenty of um, you know, uh, criticisms of the conduct of Captain Waddell in their own private diary. So perhaps it's, it's, it's not a happy ship. But uh, on the other hand, uh, compared to... Um, the situation in November, they have at least taken a number of prizes, and they have taken one whaler, which was their was their primary. They've mission. also got um, a ship completely full of supplies. Completely full of supplies. Uh, they've got enough sailors to man her. Although, um, uh, how many of those sailors might disappear over the side when they got to a port? Well, we're we're going to discover that. In, in well, put it this way. 23 Portuguese were quite happy to be left Tristan de Cunha rather than the ship. Rather than the ship on the boat. Yes. So, um, now, um, really, uh, for the next couple of days, up to today's date, nothing much happens other than the weather gets a bit rough again. Well. And uh, Whittle talks about how the ship is decidedly a wet ship. 
Well, look, this this is going to be a problem. Now, now, can can you at, at what on what day did they actually uh, go around the Cape of Good Hope? Um, I don't think they're quite there yet. We're, we're still we're still in the middle of the uh, the Atlantic. I don't know if we're in the where are we with the Roaring Forties? Well, I think. Um, the, the Roaring Forties are below the tip of the, the Cape of Good Hope. So, so we, we might do a... Here he is. They are at, in fact, a latitude of 41 degrees. So they're still in the Roaring Forties. Or, or just at the start of the Roaring Forties, I guess. Yeah. So we, we might do a, a bit of foreshadowing because um, uh, next week the, uh, the ship is going to be going deep into the Roaring Forties. And uh, the Roaring Forties are winds that um, go across, westerly winds that, that basically go uh, across from um, Africa to uh, Australasia. Uh, they go other places too, but for the, for the point of view of, um, of the Shenandoah's voyage, it's that they go from, um, across from Africa to Australia. Uh, they are caused by, I think, equatorial heating of the air and the rotation of, of the Earth. And the reason that they are so so heavy down there is because there is in fact very little landmass between Australia and South America and um, Africa uh, before you get to Antarctica. Mm. So um, the Shenandoah uh, in the next couple of weeks is going to be going into the the Roaring Forties, and uh, the Roaring Forties um, in in a way they are wonderful because they could set they could send your ship very fast to where you wanted to go, and given that um, uh, the Shenandoah at the moment does not have a working engine, they are entirely reliant on wind. But the problem with a very fast wind that will get you where you want to go is it's also perfectly capable to be associated with massive storms, heavy seas, heavy seas that would be shipped, as in the wave would actually come onto your ship and then roll off again. Um, and I think, well, I think we'll, we'll leave most of that till next week because uh, we're getting to the well, end of Well, I'll also say, apart from the heavy seas next week, yes, quite a bit more of the same sort of venom and Ugh, friction venom, is going to be going on between and, the officers oh. and the captain. There's a very, very long entry here. Oh, dear. Well, uh, no, let, 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 we'll, we'll share next no, week. No, no spoilers. Uh, but I, I will just say that... Um, um, if you think the Roaring Forties sound bad enough, um, quite often uh, the Roaring Forties, the winds move up and down closer and further away to Antarctica, depending on, on what's happening with the weather. Um, so if you get through the Roaring Forties, uh, you can get down to the Furious Fifties. And if you go below the Furious Fifties, you end up in the Screaming Sixties. And I'm not sure if that's a reference to the winds themselves or what you do or, when or you... Or the sailors <laughs> or the themselves. Sailors. I, 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 think, I think once you've got to the Screaming Sixties, you've, you've, you've got further than you want to go. But anyway, we'll, uh, we'll be heading down into the Roaring Forties uh, next week and for the few weeks uh, to be following that. So um, at the end of Clement's episode, this has been a Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirates Save the Wales with Robin Mob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. I'm Mob. It's been a pleasure and uh, we'll be hearing, seeing, hearing from you. You'll be hearing from us next week. Tally-ho.